Welcome to Hardware Addicts, a proud member of the Tux Digital Network. Hardware Addicts is the podcast that focuses on the physical components that power our technology world. In this episode, we're going to be doing a full breakdown on CES 2023, our favorite gadgets of the event, and some things to be afraid of. Then we head to Camera Corner. Wendy will discuss Raspberry Pi Camera Module 3. So sit back, relax, and plug in. Because Hardware Addict starts now. I'm Ryan, your tech guide through the universe. And with me today are my two co-hosts, Wendy, our resident photographer extraordinaire and hardware enthusiast, along with Michael, the software sage and hardware Padawan. Let's find out what tech adventures everyone has had this week. Michael, you're not here. I mean, you're never here, but you're really, really not here near your studio where you normally record. Right. And you're using some equip to do that. Tell us about it. Some equip. That's right. I'm using, I got a new microphone because I'm traveling. So I am traveling for work-related stuff. I'm currently across the country, so my mixer is not easily accessible, and therefore I can't use my fancy microphone stuff. But I decided to get a microphone that I've known about for a long time, and I've told people that they should get it because it has the best benefit of being able to use USB mics and a XLR mic function at the same time. And it's also a reasonably good price. So this I'm talking about is the Samson, not Samsung, Samson, like Samsonite. And it's the Q2U microphone. It's a dynamic microphone. It has the design of a stage mic and on the back it has a port for xlr and for the usb and the reason why this is cool because a lot of people are told to get certain types of microphone microphones that they're not they're not that good i'll, I'll, I'll i'm not going to name any of them yeti. because I, yes yeti they're awful i hate yetis so um the <laughs> a lot of the times people recommend getting the uh, blue yeti and it's because they don't really know any better once you have a blue yeti and you use it a lot, they are very commonly, the, like the hardware itself will just start breaking for random reasons. And I've had it where one of the channels just completely refuses to record anymore. So I'm not a fan of the Yeti. I am a fan of this one because it has good quality, as you can hear, and you can get it on sale sometimes for as low as like $55, $60. And that's what I got it for for this trip. And so far, I think it's been working great. Yeah, what's cool about this device, too, is that it actually comes with a desktop stand. So you don't have to sit there and hold it like you're about to sing a performance for American Idol. It has a desktop stand there. Although I am about to sing. you can set it next to yourself. Oh, great. That'll be very entertaining (laughs) on the show. Uh, But I agree with your assessment of Yeti. When they first came out, I really liked them. In fact, my very first YouTube videos were using a Yeti because that was kind of like the go-to when you were beginning, everybody recommended. But they kept breaking. Mm -hmm. And I've had multiple ones break. One that worked, I had put in a box for several months. And then when I took it out when we were at a conference, was broken. I don't know how it broke in the box, (laughs) not being used, but it did. So... Yeah, I'm not uh, a fan of the quality control that Yeti does, and I hope you have much better luck with the Samsung. But either way, you're going to have better luck because it's $55 versus like 179 for some of the Yetis and other things. So yeah, depending on which cool Yeti you get, they can be very expensive, like from 110 to 190 It depends on which one. This one is like the only difference versions I could find 
uh, that are different price, but the difference is like $15. And really the quality is the same. It's more of an aesthetics thing. If you want the all black microphone, then that's uh, 70 bucks. If you want the one I got that has the silver end and the black uh, cylinder, that's 55, 60 bucks. And I figured I don't really care about that. So I'm just going to go ahead and get the cheaper one because the innards of the microphone are effectively the same or I mean exactly the same. So it doesn't really matter. But the fact that it has XLR and USB is the real like big value of this microphone. Because if someone wants to get started into recording their voice for whatever reason, you can start really easily with the USB. And then if you want to upgrade, you can keep the same microphone, get a mixer, and then start using XLR that way and start exploring and the bigger scope without having to replace the microphone. Nice. All right, Wendy. So what have you been up to? My children have been using these Amazon Fire HD8 tablets, the 2018 edition, for quite a few years now. And it was time to upgrade them. They have been running Lineage OS, and that did help extend their life a little bit longer. But really, these are super, super bare bones tablets. So they only have one and a half gigs of RAM. One and a half gigs of RAM. Can you even like fathom that with a (laughs) computer where I won't do a minimum of eight? These have the larger storage of 32 gigs. They do have expandable SD storage. Thank goodness for them, especially if actually consuming books and stuff on them. When it comes to the CPU, it's also really pretty sad. It's got some basic touch, microphone, all of that stuff, two megapixel cameras. They're probably the worst camera I've ever seen, except for like flip phones back in the early 2000s, right? It could probably rival that right there. Really not good, but for the most part, they've done the job. There's a few educational applications that they've been using on them. Watching my son use it today, I was like really, really sad for him because he'd enter in the math question answer. And it would take a second for the answer to actually populate, and then he'd hit the button for it to go in, and then you have to wait for it to actually accept. Yeah, these are just absolutely horrible. We've extended the life with Lineage OS, but it is time for these to go into the recycling bin and be made into something completely better. So on that route, I've picked up the kids Lenovo Tab M10 Plus, third generation. There's more than one M10. So this is the third generation of the device. And these are actually pretty neat, especially for the price that you can pick them up for. They have four gigs of RAM, still not what I would love in a laptop, but way better than their previous tablets. They'll probably come with Android 12 and get Android 13 somewhere in here, but these have 2K displays on them. Nice. Which is absolutely awesome. 400 nits. So for whatever they're doing around the house or taking into the car, they should work just fine. Battery life on them seems like it should be pretty good. These are coming with 128 gigs of storage and it's still expandable with an SD card. Like, whoa, what? Lower. <laughs> I know, right? Um, They do have eight megapixel cameras front and back. They really don't use them all that much. Um, But massive, massive upgrade to what they've been using. One of the reasons why we went this route 
is they are one of the tablets that do have pen compatibility. So you can get the, the Lenovo pen that goes with this that has multiple pressure sensitivities. And my daughter actually hasn't used her Fire Tab in probably at least a couple of years. And every time I need my tablet, it's missing because she's got it and she's using it for drawing animation stuff because hers can't do any of that. Mom's can. And mom almost never has access to her tablet when she needs it. So I'm hoping that this one will actually fill that function for her. They're supposed to be arriving on Monday of next week. So you're listening to this on Friday. By Monday, they should hopefully be showing up. I already have the glass screen protectors here for them. Their cases are on the way. And if this one doesn't work for her, because I do worry about that four gigs of RAM with the other kids, they'll be fine. But with the art stuff that she does, some of the animation things she does on hers, four gigs might not quite be enough. And we might have to get her another tablet besides this one. But at least we'll give it a go. We'll see how it looks. I do think there is a lineage available for this one too. And you guarantee it, that's what's going on. These tablets to replace the stock Android. I am running Lineage OS 20. So that's Android 13 on my phone right now. I've been doing that for about a week. Had my first OTA. Went as smoothly as it ever did on 19.1. So easy. No issues. And so I'm really looking forward to putting something upgraded on there for them and something that actually packs enough power that they can really use it for the applications that they need. Yeah, one of the things, Michael and I both have the Lenovo M8 that we utilize actually for our show. So during Destination Linux, we have a video, it's a video podcast, and we have that on to watch, or I have mine on to watch comments and things. Michael, you also use yours for the, what is that, view screen to do words and things? What do they call it? Do words and things. You're referring yeah. to a thing that's called <laughs> teleprompting. Yeah, that thing, the yeah. teleprompter thing. Yeah, you also use it as a teleprompter and things. One of the things I like about Lenovo tablets specifically is there's not a ton of bloatware, at least on the one I got, that comes nice. with the Android by default. Unlike, say, the Amazon Kindle device, which comes with all the Amazon services and games and all this stuff pre-installed, this one actually just kind of comes with some very basic stuff. And uh, Lenovo does a pretty good job with these. And I can see that they're actually gearing this towards small businesses and students and teachers from their main site, which is really cool. And it's got some great specs on it. So I think your kids are definitely going to get a major upgrade from those Amazon Kindles, which is awesome. Yeah, it's going to be so nice for them not stealing my device that I do use for work. I take notes on it. We use it for robotics. You know, I take it with me for that. And every time I need it, like I said, it's either gone or it has no battery. And so I've got to plug it in. The other nice thing is these are all going to be USB-C as well, which is super nice. My daughter's phone is USB-C. My tablet's USB-C. We've got plenty of other devices that are that way. And so we can get rid of some of these cables so that really aren't in that good of shape anymore and just have more of these universal ones around I would like to get a charging hub kind of put together for everybody because I don't want tablets in everybody's bedrooms all the time. I would like them going in a certain place at night where they're put away and nobody's touching them. Of course, I do control the internet in a way that I've got a profile set up for each kid on my Synology router. And so I 
turn the internet off for them at certain times and it doesn't come back on until certain times, which does help. But just having them in a central location, I think, would be good to help prevent them from getting broken, even though they are getting bumper cases and glass screen protectors. Look at you being a good mom and stuff and controlling the (laughs) internet. (laughs) I try. Now, you're doing a phone switch. You've had a Pixel device for a little while, and now it's back to an iPhone for you. How is this transition? So Michael knows that I will always go and give the other side that I hate on a try every few years to see if I'm missing anything. So I went and got one of these Pixel devices, and it was one of those experiences in which it wasn't the worst Android experience I've ever had. And I guess from that aspect, it was good. But I can't stand Android. The privacy problems, the security problems across the board are just endless. It kind of starts with the software is a major issue when you talk about patching software and keeping things up to date with exploits and things. Android doesn't, they've tried to make some changes to it, but they don't really have a good system to update all the different manufacturers that make devices for them. And because of that, oftentimes if you're on an Android device and you're sticking with Android OS, not changing it out like Wendy does with Lineage and other things, you're in a situation where you're not getting the same patches, updates and things. Plus their store is a complete disaster that's filled with lots of software that is just taking data and there's very limited controls in place for it. And I just have so many issues with Android as a whole, but the pixel device is a little bit different. This is controlled by Google. You're guaranteed to get those updates and patches and there's a lot less bloatware on it. So a lot of Android phones too, manufacturers will do things like put Facebook on your phone by default and you can't remove it. You can disable it, without doing any hacks, I should say. You can disable it by default, but you can't even remove the apps that they're installing and they can push apps to your phone and do push apps to your phone and things, but you don't have to worry about that as much on the Pixel device. So it was a better experience than I've had with most Android devices. But at the same time, I have to, because of my work, I can't use a non-standard OS because the software that we use for security to get into the devices that has to come from a verified source And it has a bunch of checks and things in the background. So it's just not an option for me. So I only could choose between a regular Android operating system or an iPhone. And the iPhone is just so much better for me. The superior security, superior privacy offerings right out of the box with the device, the ability to control what apps can see very easily. And I know that it's working because I know a lot of people say I don't trust it and they're fair to say that. And there are certain things that these companies do not trust it. I know it's working because some of these apps are constantly nagging at you to please turn on the ad service again. So when you install an app on Apple, it'll immediately ask you, do you want them to be able to track you? Yes or no. And you choose no, and that's it. But a lot of these apps, because they've lost so much money, Facebook lost billions when Apple did this from this move, are just begging you to please turn the service on and will constantly try to pop up like Spotify and other things to make you turn it on. So you know that they're desperate to get that data from the back end there. So it's not perfect. I'm not saying Apple is the way everyone should go. I love the way that if you don't have 
the situation that I'm in, Wendy using these alternative operating systems, which you can do on Android, which makes it very cool. But if you can't do that, it's all Apple all the way for me. So let's remind you, though, about the camera feature of being able to remove background objects with the Android phone. That's yes. still pretty awesome, right? There's two really amazing things Google has on Pixel that's an advantage over Apple. One is their ability to take pictures of people with darker skin and their, their skin actually shows up like it should. And this doesn't happen with even the greatest iPhone device like your friend's who have darker skin and things, they just show up weird, almost bland. Their skin does not look like it looks in real life. Whereas the Pixel, Google has really spent a lot of time with their camera to work around that and make sure that everybody kind of looks like they're supposed to look, which I think is amazing. Cool. And then number two is the fact that you have this automatic background removal. Now, this doesn't sound like a super big deal, but I used it constantly. And it's something I desperately miss actually on the Pixel device is the ability to do that. The downside is it was done in Google Photos Cloud, even though it was integrated into your phone. Mm. So you're also updating your photos and things to the cloud in order to utilize that service. And that's not my favorite experience in the world uh, to, to utilize Google Photos and stuff. So that's fair. Android's come a long way. It is way better. And I'm glad I took the plunge and used it for the last year. It's way better than it's ever been, but it still has got a long way to go. And that's some of the downside of having multiple retailers put out versions of their own device. I mean, Google could mandate if you are using our operating system, then you have to support it for this long. They have to get the patches updated in this amount of time, which I think would be a very positive move for them. Um, but it is the downside of having multiple companies involved with this. And you're right, there's tons of bloatware that can come on different versions of Android, depending on the device you're getting. Motorola has been another pretty good one, which is now bought out by Lenovo, about not having a lot of junk added to their Android phones and having pretty decent priced Android phones that get relatively good update security patches for them. They're what we had for quite a long time. And we did get security patches on a pretty good basis. So some of the really, really low-end phones that you could pick up at retail stores, they're definitely not great at getting those security patches. And those are phones that are probably going to be in use for a really long time and not get physically updated. So I agree on that side that it's not great. And I understand that it is hard for everybody to root and ROM their phone. I know with my OnePlus 9, that's what I've been using for just over a year now, the root and ROM process for that one was horrible. And it's because of those A and B partitions and having everything just right. It was really, really frustrating to actually get lineage on this device. So I get it. I get it that Apple could be an easier solution if you're wanting some of that privacy stuff making sure you're getting the updates, that everything's consistent across the board, and not dealing with that other side of it. Okay, this device is now X amount of years old, sometimes as little as two, no longer getting security patches, and going through that process to make sure that it is staying updated. Yeah, it'd be really exciting for us to have an actual third competitor in there that 
right. was an Android or Apple. And, and I really hope for those times. Android's in big trouble. In the U.S. market, iPhone has surpassed Android. Even though they have the cheaper devices, they're now over 50% of the entire U.S. market is using an iPhone, which is the mm-hmm. first time that that happened last year. And that's the first time in history because Android had so many devices out there from so many companies and so inexpensive that it was they were always the highest market. And what Apple owned was the premium smartphone, so anything that was right. $1,000 plus. Well, they also grew there. Apple now owns 78% of the premium wow. smartphone world in the U.S. Well, that's worldwide for the premium smartphone, 78%. So it's when you look at it, like... Not only are we not getting a third competitor, but the competitor we did have is really losing their market big. Wow. That's pretty weird. But also it kind of makes sense because of the, well, I guess it's really just the prestige that Apple has, that people are looking at the devices as being more reliable versus Android having all of those different options where you you do have phones that are amazing and very impressive. And then you have things that are barely phones. So I do think that it, ma- it makes sense that that would happen. But I do want to say that I'm very tempted and I'm probably going to get an iPhone. Yep. We will welcome you to the Apple family, Michael, and you will uh, be like the Borg. It'll be the we first time I've ever us. had a, my, an iPhone in my life, and I feel like I've, I, I am going to be assimilated. Yes, you will be assimilated. So speaking of new hardware, Michael, that you might be acquiring in the future, we're going to talk about CES 2023. Oh, yeah. Where there's all kinds of new hardware out. The Consumer Technology Association puts on CES every year. It's one of the greatest or at least biggest consumer tech shows out there. And we're going to talk about some of the favorite offerings that CES had in 2023. And of course, we encourage you to go and weigh in on the discourse forums. Let us know some of the items we missed. There was tons of things released, so we're not going to be able to cover it all. But let us know some things we missed or some of the things we talk about here that you're interested in. The first one is one that I'm definitely not interested in, but I think it's interesting that they're doing it, and that's the Roku TV. So they've decided to launch their very own television in addition to offering their Roku software that they do to existing manufacturers. And of course, they have the external Roku boxes. You now can just go and buy a Roku branded TV. So Samsung or Sony, I want the Roku I personally am not a fan of Roku at all because of their privacy policy. I suggest if you haven't, you go read it. Uh, It's very intrusive in my opinion. And I have a TV that has Roku built in, which the first thing I do is turn that off completely. I don't allow it to connect to the internet. I do not set it up. I use a different streaming device for it altogether. However, one time when I was away on a trip, My wife couldn't get the set-top box I had working, so she was like, I'll just go set up the Roku television part because it's very easy to set up and get Netflix and stuff from there. So I came home, and I turn on the other streaming device, and I noticed this Roku message pops up and is like, hey, instead of watching the show here, why don't you watch it here? So it's obviously tracking from another HDMI device that's connected what I'm watching pops up a screen to tell me I can watch it on these other channels. And thus I went in and immediately reset the whole TV, removed Roku back off and want to leave it off forever. So I'm not excited about this, but I think consumers, which 
generally are looking for those low cost TVs are the ones who are going to end up being the product here because they're going to sell these things for very cheap, 24 inch to 75 inch TV expected to go for around 120 to a thousand dollars. So my guess is they're going to come in a very low cost and they're going to get anybody who's wanting to get an inexpensive television. And then of course, utilize their data potentially as a selling point. That's just my opinion, but that's why I wouldn't touch a Roku TV. Yeah, I've seen Roku's stuff. Like it, the uh, excessiveness that I've seen in my experience with Roku made me immediately take the device, put it back in the box, and put it in my closet because it was already out of out of the like the return window. And I have no desire to ever use a Roku. And as soon as I see a TV that says, "Oh, it comes with Roku," I look at a different TV. That's yep. just my preference. It's interesting that they're going to be able to put these twenty-four inch TVs out at one hundred and twenty. So. What is going to be the resolution for these? Are they coming in at that 4K or are these a 2K TV at that price? It'll be 720p and they make it because the data. Well, I'm guessing they're actually (laughs) going to give some really impressive specs for that $120. And the reason is, is because a lot of these television companies are now looking at people's data as their revenue. So you'll see a lot of these televisions, even from popular manufacturers out there are selling their televisions are 4k and have amazing specs for these unbelievable prices three four hundred dollars black friday and things for giant screens at 4k and all of that they're hoping they're going to recoup that through grabbing your data and being able to resell that what shows are you watching what things are you surfing for what are you streaming to your device and A lot of these televisions also, you'll notice if you have a good secure network, it'll pop up and say, hey, your television's asking for access to view other devices on your network so that they can kind of decide what other devices you have to start building a profile on you. So it's a little shady. I'm not happy with where the television world's going. And there are even TV manufacturers who've been caught turning on the mics so they can listen in to your conversations while you're sitting there in the living room. So go ahead, get that great deal on a TV, never connected to the internet, take that Raspberry Pi 4 gigabyte that you have, put the unofficial Lineage OS Android 13 on it, have yourself an Android TV that has nothing to do with Google or your TV manufacturer. That's how you do it. That sounds like a good idea, but there are some TV manufacturers that I'm not going to specify because I can't really guarantee that they're still doing it. But I did have an experience with a TV where you wouldn't, you weren't able to switch the HDMI source until you went through the setup process, which required you to connect to Wi-Fi. Whoa. I want you to tell me off the air who that was. <laughs> That's scammy. I'm curious. Yeah. Well, there's another television out there that caught my attention too for a different reason, and that is the LG Zero Connect. And the Zero Connect is the interesting part of this. So they showed an amazing 97-inch 4K OLED 120-hertz screen, but there is no cords. So what they're doing is they're taking a box that can be up to 30 feet away, and it's wirelessly transmitting. So you'd plug your, I don't know, does anybody have DVD players? You'd you'd plug your DVD players, your (laughs) streaming boxes, your VHS, because let's just go with my age here. Uh, I any prefer of the Betamax. Xbox, your Betamax. PS4. I guess it's PS5 now. <laughs> there you go. You plug in all your devices into this box, and then it wirelessly transmits the signal with, according to them, extraordinarily low latency. You won't even notice the difference. And the only thing you need to have a plug for is the power. 
So you still have to have a plug for the power. It doesn't have a Tesla coil, unfortunately, where it can wirelessly send electricity. <laughs> Hopefully they're working on that in the future. But you only need one plug there behind your TV. So all those dangling cords and things that really bug my wife and I have to try to hide behind the TV in all kinds of crazy manner or dig into the wall and run them behind the wall. You don't have to worry about that with the new Zero Connect, which I think is pretty cool. I wonder if they've taken into account Magneto. So my husband can have a Bluetooth headset on. He's riding the lawnmower, Bluetooth headset on, phone is in his pocket, turn his head just right, the Bluetooth disconnects. I can have the headset on, leave my phone in the kitchen, go all the way across the house to the spare room. I'm hearing music, the book, all the way. There are people that interfere with stuff like this. My husband is one of them. And so... I don't know that this would be a good solution for our house, but I love the idea of hiding the cables. So all of our gaming consoles and everything are right next to the TV. And I don't see us having a 97-inch TV. Not with that attitude. (laughs) I don't even like 4K. Like, I have not seen a 4K TV that I like because I can see all the stuff in the background. I've seen glitching in cartoons, and it really messes with my eyes. So while, yes, my monitor is 4K on my computer, I have not seen a 4K TV that I like. That's really interesting you say that because I've noticed the same thing. If these pictures become clearer and clearer, it actually removes the movie magic. My parent-in-laws have a Sony that has this amazing picture with it, just absolutely gorgeous. And we were watching one of the Avenger movies, which on my TV looks fantastic. It's got all the movie magic and things where you're like, wow, CGI looks amazing. But over there, the actors literally look like they're standing on a set. You can see that it's a set and it's so obviously visible that it takes you out of the movie entirely. So it's so clear and so perfect that there's no movie magic, which is an interesting problem with some of these TVs. Yeah, absolutely. My kids like to watch a show on Netflix and there's this glitching like on our TV at home because we don't have a 4K TV at home. All of the motion in that cartoon is really smooth and it's not a hand-drawn cartoon. It's an animated with a computer cartoon. And then when we watch it at my in-laws house and they have 4K, I can see this glitchiness, this choppiness it's having. And I really struggle with eye strain on certain things. And I can't sit down and watch the show with the kids because it literally hurts my eyes. Well, you probably shouldn't be watching South Park with the kids anyways, but (laughs) yeah, not doing that um, anytime soon, maybe later when they're older, but not right now. Not with that attitude. (laughs) Yeah. So the other thing I thought was really interesting about CES that we're going to talk about here for a moment is the amount of robotics in there. So at first I was like, oh, Wendy's going to totally dig this and you will, but a lot of the robotics were kind of geared towards replacing human labor. And there was a lot of it, like a lot. I'm going to cover a couple here that are kind of on the smaller scale, but everything really was about the robots that could do certain types of labor. And we'll get into one with the laptop here in a moment. But the first one that was kind of cool was robot deliveries. So a company named Autonomy unveiled its vision for the future of airports with a delivery robot. And Michael, you've been traveling recently, so this might hit a tune with you here. The vision is that these tiny delivery robots will bring food from the restaurants of the airport directly to you at your terminal gate. 
versus you having to wait in line or take the chances of having enough time to sit down and eat. And I don't know about you, Michael, I've been in the airport a hundred times and because of the airport and the area I live, it's one of the busiest, it is the busiest airport in the world and things. It can be chaos to get to your terminal. A lot of times I'm in the right section, but then the flight will move to a different terminal and you're kind of trying to be aware of all that stuff. Or if you're working, maybe you're checking emails and you don't really know if you have time to sit down at a restaurant, which sometimes have lines through them and everything else and be able to make your gate. So I thought this is kind of a cool deal where you could be sitting at the terminal, find a seat, have a little robot come and deliver you whatever is there, the Chili's or McDonald's or whatever restaurant you want. And you can just eat right there at the terminal and you don't have to tip it either. Oh, you don't have to tip it. There you go. You sold me right up into that point. I was like, nah, I don't think so. But really the the thing about that is I don't think that the airport food is all that good anyway. So it, even if it is good, if the one, the stuff that's good is also very expensive depending on the airport and really most airports in the U.S. are that way. So you could have the same thing outside of the airport, save half the amount of money and inside the airport, it's, it's double. So I'm not really sure I care that much to make sure I get food in the airport while I'm waiting at the gate. But sometimes here or there, I guess there is an exception, you know, depending on how long the layover or whatever. But I do want to say, as I've been traveling a lot more, I've gotten used to doing different uh, airlines. And I have learned that there are some airlines that are absolutely atrocious. And there's actually one that I really like, and that's Delta. I'm just, you know, free plug for you, Delta, because they have a, an app that has navigational guides to tell you exactly how, where to go and what to do and like go down this yeah. escalator and I'll take this right turn. I'm like, okay, well, I got, I did, I've gotten lost in the Atlanta airport uh, many times because I have, I've, I have to connect through Atlanta to go to anywhere basically. And I've, this time I didn't get lost at all. It was very clear. And I just wanted to, since you brought up the the airport traveling thing, that is more, I'm more interested in having a good app that has that functionality than I am a robot that brings me a sandwich. Maybe a robot that helps you get to your uh, terminal would be something even more useful there. You just follow that, the robot when you walk in. That would be awesome. Yeah. That or a robot awesome. that carries your bags too while it takes you to your terminal. A robot concierge, I'm in for yes. that. Yes. I've never actually flown, so I can't weigh in on this one yet, but I am curious about it. It's kind of interesting that you bring up that the costs are so much higher in the airport anyway. So while this might be really, really handy for the people that are flying all the time, they got flights that are pretty close together, this means they actually get a meal, whereas otherwise maybe they don't. Could be I a mean, positive thing. It depends on what it is. If someone flies a lot and they have to do connections, they usually choose a connecting flight that has like an hour to an hour and a half layover. So you have plenty of time to get the food and all of that. And I done, I've done that many times. Like when, when we flew to scale uh, in California, I had a layover in the middle of the country. I got a sandwich and then I went to the gate. And that's totally fine and it works. The only time it ever backfired is when I use United, which I hate it's my opinion, they're terrible, is my opinion, that uh, they gave me a 40-minute layover and I and I had to go through customs, which takes about 40 minutes to get through customs. And they were like, yeah, this is the best flight plan. Sure, United. Whoa. 
Well, here's the thing. Like, the flights are not like they used to. I've been flying for a long time. We won't get into that. And usually you could trust, for the most part, with rare exception, that you were going to have some layover or delay or something and things were going to go right. But there has been so much chaos in the news, just in the news itself, but also in my recent travels that I've had to deal with where flights are being moved, canceled, and your layovers, people are running through the airport to get to their next destination because the planes are late, getting to the terminal and things. And I even ran into a case recently when I was traveling in which all the meals on the airplane, they ran out of because everybody was late. The flight was delayed hours. Everybody wanted to obviously eat for dinner because it was a dinner flight and they ran out of meals so people couldn't eat. So I don't know. This could be interesting. We'll see where it goes. They're going to try it in a couple airports and see. But I kind of agree with you, Michael. There's much more cool ways you could probably use a robot than that. Or cool things you can improve an airline, you know, an airport experience. There are many other ways that I look at an airport experience being this could be improved. Getting TSA. Yes, exactly. Or just getting through the line and like having it, especially customs, coming back as an American to America and going through the customs of every other country I've went to, I it's 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 a shame how inefficient and almost incompetent the American version is versus the other ones because they're they're organized properly, whereas there is almost zero organization and and when you're coming back here. So there are many ways to improve it. And at no point is it do I think I need a robot to bring me food is like the first <laughs> on my list. All right, fine. What about replacing Fido? Not only do humans need to be worried about being replaced, but dogs now have competition in the robot world as well. And these dogs, they don't go potty on your carpet. They don't rip apart your couch when you're away. You don't have to pay for expensive doggy daycare when you're at work. Wowie showed off a prototype called Dog E dash E. Dog dash E. It's clever. There, my doggy. Doggy. Yeah. It's adorable. This dog has lifelike movements, audio sensors to hear sounds, touch sensors on its head, nose, and sides, point of view, persistence of vision, tail that displays icons and messages to communicate. You don't have to worry about it accidentally biting you because it's in a bad mood. Dog can also do fun things just like old Yeller could do, like play with a chew toy, lick your face, growl, howl, get bark. Rabies. It doesn't get rabies, Michael. <laughs> well, that's and what use- old Yeller could do. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's right. Well, it could get a virus, technically. Maybe it could be hacked if you oh, set okay. it up yeah, on yeah. Wi-Fi. So, yeah, you could be right. We'll make a virus for it called rabies. And it can use its <laughs> high-tech tail to tell you it's hungry, tired, or wants to play. Uh, the toy comes with more than 200 interactions out of the box, and you can do even more with the app. And each dog has a minting process in which it will eventually, as you get to know it, display its unique colors and personality traits making each robo-dog personalized to its owner. Goodbye, puppies. <laughs> How in the world does a robot dog get hungry or tired? Is it hungry when it needs a charge? And I guess that would be tired too. I'm sorry, but no. We've got cats. I absolutely love my cats. I'd love to have a dog, but I've got kids that are destructive enough that I don't need a puppy at this point in my life. But I couldn't imagine replacing this living creature which of course has its own personality with something that's a robot it's just not something that's up my alley and with all of these sensors on it if somebody was going to hack something in your house 
I mean, mm-hmm. this would be the way to do it because you're talking to the dog. It can see all kinds of things. Its audio sensors are always on because it's listening for you. Come here, puppy. Jeez, Wendy, really... you are so dystopian. This is a cute little dog for your kids <laughs> to play with, and now you've turned it into a murder dog. <laughs> it, no, I didn't it, the, say murder dog. She, all she said is that it's an it's a it's an incognito spy for your, all of your enemies. Jeez. <laughs> right? Absolutely. Like, granted, I know that you don't own cats. Cats own you. And so Naturally. the three and our cats we have right now are here because of their good graces. No, you you actually said it wrong. You're in that house because the cats allow you to be. Yeah. Right. Yes, that's right. <laughs> that's correct. Uh-huh. <laughs> Well, I was interested in this, but now I don't want Cujo either here now that Wendy's kind (laughs) of turned this into murder dog. All right. Well, moving on, we have AMD. Uh, AMD revealed six new desktop CPUs for its AM5 platform. Out of the six, there are three Ryzen 7000 X3D chips specifically, which will leverage AMD's 3D vCache which, of course, is using chip stacking to boost gaming performance. So this is not going to help with productivity. wouldn't help someone like you, Wendy, on the productivity side, but is really geared towards kind of taking that crown in the gaming side by increasing that L3 cache to levels that are just redonkulous. I mean, they've always been ridiculous with AMD. That's kind of been their thing. But with this 3D V cache, it's just at a whole new level. Plus, increasing the core count, you get an 8, 12, or 16 core version. It's almost like... We're getting that Threadripper technology, but more geared towards the regular consumer, which is kind of cool. And they're really stacking on these cores along with the cache, hoping to revitalize the very bored, in my opinion, PC community. Because the PCs, if you haven't looked at the statistics lately, have been having a horrible time trying to sell anything because the consumers are just burnt out. And honestly, you could put me in this market as well. I've been so burnt out from the amount of the gouging and prices along with the inventory issues and things that most of my gaming now is done on a PS5. And I found I actually prefer it because it's just easier. I don't have to worry about spending $1,200 for a GPU every few months or upgrading to a new main board to support the new AM5 platform and things. And it's just like, well, my desktop's kind of good enough. And As you all know, that's a very unusual place for me to be in. And I think a lot of it's just complete burnout from this game that's been played in the manufacturer, PC manufacturer realm. The whole idea of like gaming on the console is becoming a normal thing now too. And I still play on the PC, but that's also because I only play one game anyway. And is my, I don't, it works fine on my hardware, so I don't need to worry about that. So I effectively have turned it into a console for this one game. I'm pretty sure you play two. I'm pretty sure I've seen you play at least two games. Okay, ninety percent one. one game, and then there's like a, a like a sprinkle of other games in there. Okay, that makes sense. My kids actually play most of their games on an Xbox One. It's nowhere near a new console, but you can still get brand new games for it. So it's along the same things. Not having to worry about constantly upgrading hardware in order to make that work. I still have plans to build a living room gaming PC. There's a few parts that I need for that. But mostly it's going to be built from parts from my previous desktop. And that's so that they can play the VR headset in the living room instead of on my main system 
biggest changes with that. So I'm kind of curious as to how this goes. For most of these other things that's put out, I'm like, yeah, that's kind of cool. But with AMD or any other chip like that, I'm like, that's awesome. You're dropping it. But I can't wait to see the actual numbers, seeing someone like Gamers Nexus running through it, doing all of those heavy testing on it. How much difference does it make? How well does it play these games different? And that hard data could be a positive for some people. I know the overall price of GPUs, I think, also hurts this market when you're looking at building a brand new gaming system and what it's going to cost with those total parts. I mean, ouch. Yeah, and they keep playing games, you know, with their components and their quality control. NVIDIA, of course, we were taking a break during this time, hardware addicts, but they, of course, had that power gate, we'll call it issue, in which they were having power cables connecting into the GPU, burning out at a large scale. AMD's had some massive issues with their GPUs recently as well, with the heat that they're producing and and having inefficient coolers in their latest models. It's just everything that could go wrong has gone wrong, and the people leading these companies really need to step back and think about the fact that the gaming community from a PC perspective, and we predicted this on the show years ago when we were doing this, when we first started talking about this during the pandemic and things, that this was going to destroy PC gaming, and we were 100% correct, and it's only going to get worse the more games they keep playing here. The other thing that I noticed that's really interesting, and Michael, you found this one, is the Lenovo ThinkPhone by Motorola. Now, when you talk about Apple and its fan base, I mean, Apple has an amazing ability to create products, but also create fans of those products. Even if they're inferior products, people are just die hard with that. But I would say in the PC community, when you think about a company that has die hard fans as well, you think about those ThinkPad users. People who have ThinkPads or utilize ThinkPads, they're usually like hardcore ThinkPad lovers. And so this phone, I think, is going to absolutely check a box for a lot of those hardcore fans from the Lenovo side because it has that nice same carbon fiber look as a ThinkPad. And Wendy mentioned earlier that Lenovo bought Motorola They're utilizing all of Motorola's superior security features and software and security solutions that Motorola had created, which were really good. And they're integrating all of that into this phone and they're making it basically a business phone. So it's for business people who obviously a lot of companies are very concerned with their CEOs or CTOs and executives and employees with their information, the amount of apps they're taking information and other things being able to keep that stuff safe, their passwords, their crypto keys, the get into VPNs, all of this stuff is out there potentially ready to be hacked, depending if people are installing whatever apps they want or putting TikTok on their phones and things. But a phone like this, I think, would be very appealing to a lot of businesses to get into their employees' hands. One of the things that people love about Apple, especially the users, is that cohesiveness. I have my Apple laptop, I've got my Apple phone, and they communicate really, really well together. And that's one of the things that Lenovo is bringing into this. They have that phone to laptop connection where you can transfer files back and forth from one device to the other, pretty seamlessly connecting, keeping your conversations going. Instant hotspot with the 5G connectivity. So I can see this being a seamless use case for people that already have one of their 
especially newer sync pads and bringing that device into that work environment and being able to do everything you need from these two mobile devices. Yeah, very well put. I mean, it, one of the things people talk about being a negative is the fact of being in that Apple ecosystem. But the reason why people voluntarily run into the Apple ecosystem is because it works so darn well. And on Android and other devices, I did not have that same experience. And I love that they are focusing here on creating that same experience. And frankly, the PC market itself, when you look at a laptop standpoint, is also in big trouble compared to Apple. The PC market laptop sales have been absolutely in the dumpster where Apple laptop sales have been skyrocketing. And you've got another situation in which Apple potentially is going to take the whole market. And this isn't good. We've talked about this with AMD Intel and other things you don't want, no matter if you're an Apple fan or not, one company to dominate so bad. I think Lenovo has a chance here to be the saver of the PC and potentially the phone market by doing some really cool things here. Now, they're gearing this first one towards business, but I could easily see a ton of consumers interested in this. And if they can get that unification correct across your device and your actual PC, that could be huge for them. And they could kind of start creating a situation in which people are looking from their MacBooks over at that Lenovo going, maybe I want that. Maybe that's the cool next thing. So some other cool noteworthy offerings that I saw was PCI 5.0 hit a big splash there. So we saw this in MSI laptops to offerings that are ready for consumer desktops. So we just got 4.0. A lot of us haven't even upgraded to that, but now there's 5.0 out. It's going to be much faster. Of course, we'll talk about a lot of the stuff in depth as it hits the market. We can do some testing and things with it. Lenovo, again, had one of the best offerings for a laptop. The Lenovo YogaBook 9i, fascinating. Comes with two 13-inch screens on a 360-degree hinge a magnetic keyboard, and an innovative origami cover. And this has lots of imagination behind it. So one of the issues with my data analysts and people who work in spreadsheets a lot or programming is when they're traveling, they are completely Hades when it comes to not having dual monitors. Because a lot of times they have code on one screen or they have a spreadsheet. And no matter how big your monitor is, if you have a spreadsheet here, an email here, or code down below and you have SQL running up on the top, you need those two screens. But when you're traveling, you've only got one. You can't carry a secondary screen with you very easily. So Lenovo's kind of thinking here in this world where you have these two screens, an origami cover, which is really well built and very stable based on some of the videos that I saw that you can dock this up against. So you now have the dual screens and then you have a Bluetooth keyboard that comes with it that's magnetic that snaps to the bottom. Now you have a dual screen computer right there built in. Additionally, if you just want to use it as a standard laptop, that second screen becomes the keyboard and also creates a little visual for a touchpad there. And they're cool. working out that type of stuff. So I think as far as innovation comes, one of the coolest I've seen using a multi-screen setup is definitely this Lenovo Yogobook 9i. I think this is something my daughter would love, especially where it's got that pen feature as well. One of the cool things about Lenovo is they do have that with a lot of their devices, especially these yoga books, and being able to draw directly on it. Now, the downside for her is it couldn't necessarily be running Windows because my daughter has seen Linux pretty much her entire life. And so last time she had to use a Windows laptop, she's like, Mom, this is all weird. I don't know how to use it. It's strange. And so she may like the style of it, but it would take a big getting used to to run a Windows laptop. 
And I don't see this particular hardware getting really great software, open source software support anytime soon. It would be interesting because from a dual screen perspective, Linux could support it easily. However, when it comes to the software they're using to display that keyboard and that trackpad, that's where you might run into an issue. So good point on that. It'll be interesting to see. Lenovo has a history of supporting Linux and some of their machines. Maybe we'll see that support come there if this thing takes off. But I like the innovation. I like they're trying something new there. Dell's also trying something new with their Project Luna, which looks promising. They've displayed this in prior CES as well, but it's coming further along. This is a fully repairable and upgradable laptop. Has near zero wires and lots of plug and play components. So people who are very intimidated by the insides of a laptop wouldn't be with this machine. They've done a great job of making everything kind of just a cohesive module that you plug and play in there. But speaking of robots taking jobs, they also showed some robots upgrading Mm. these devices. It's so simple to upgrade them with the modules. And Dell is imagining a world where if you want more RAM or new processor, you just ship your Luna laptop to them. A robot does the upgrade and then they simply ship it back. So you don't need those whiny human labor people in between there to do that, which is kind of an interesting concept. (laughs) The whiny human labor people. (laughs) I don't like the idea of the robot doing it, but I do love the idea of a laptop that is easier and easier for the person who owns that device to make upgrades to. That is nice. Speaking of games being played by the GPU makers, NVIDIA unveiled the GeForce RTX 4070 Ti, which according to all sources is actually the 4080 that was a complete bust in the market that people hated because it was overpriced amongst other things and over underpowered. And they relaunched it as now the 4070 Ti, which hopefully makes people feel better. Hey, it's not a 4080 now, it's just the 4070, but it's the same thing. And they're (laughs) saying that it's more efficient than the GeForce RTX 3090 Ti, thanks to its NVIDIA Ada Lovelace architecture innovations. And of course, the DLSS 3 that it has in there, the deep learning super sampling that it has. Uh, and that it will max out your 1440p monitor. However, people have gotten their hands on some of these, well, mostly the 4080s because they were already out and then pulled from the market, have not had fantastic results with this card at all. In fact, most of the AMD's offerings kind of tend to stomp it, especially in production workloads, as well as many games out there. They're saying the MSRP is 799 which don't hold on to that because that would be a pretty good price to get your hand on what would have previously been a 4080. But that's the MSRP because there is no founder's edition. There is no version NVIDIA is creating. And so it's literally just an MSRP that most manufacturers, especially in this realm, like we know what happened with EVGA or hurting, are probably going to come in around more the 899, 999 or more for this card, making it, if that is the case, not a very good deal at all. Which seems to be the the status quo at this point with all the GPUs that have been coming out recently. It's just been a disaster. It really, it's really disappointing and really shows the importance of potentially having some other competitors come into this space and kind of show AMD NVIDIA up. And I'm looking at you, Intel, to hope that you come out with some additional GPU options out there to really put AMD and NVIDIA in a tough spot in the future. And of course, we're going to cover more of these CES innovations in detail as these things actually come to the market and people get hands-on. 
So this is just kind of a high level overview of the things we thought were cool. Uh, it was an okay CES, but you can tell the tech community has been hit really hard recently. They went with a lot of safer bets, I think overall, and a huge focus on robotics and labor replacement, which is something we hadn't seen in CES before. So read into that what you will. We've got some hardware companies that are playing games with us, but you don't have to worry about Bitborn playing games with you. They lay everything out for you to see. This episode of Hardware Addicts is sponsored by Bitwarden. Bitwarden is the password manager that we use and trust. Bitwarden lets you set up things like a pin to easily access your password manager, as well as additional authentication, such as master passwords and adding phrases to fingerprint security, all to keep your passwords safe. Bitwarden is the easiest and safest way for individuals, teams, and businesses to store, share, and sync their sensitive data. Go to bitwarden.com slash tux to get started for free. Say you're like me and you want that premium account. It starts at just $10 per year. It comes with one gigabyte of encrypted file storage, two-step login with YubiKey, U2F, and Duo, Vault Health Reports, TOTP Authenticator Storage and Generation, plus priority customer support. Make the smart move like many in the community have and go to bitwarden.com slash tux to get started for free. If you're like me, though, you'll want to show your appreciation by signing up for that premium edition, especially where it starts at just $10 per year. I have that version, and I'm seriously looking into getting the family edition of this account so everyone in my house has full access to specific passwords, all from Bitwarden. Thanks to Bitwarden for sponsoring this episode of Hardware Addicts. And by the way, we've been talking about Bitwarden for a long time. And for all those who have been using those other password managers that are all in the news for the last month being hacked to pieces, we told you so. Go to bitwarden.com slash tux. Wendy, take us into the camera corner and tell us what's been going on in the camera world that caught your interest. I absolutely love this. So the Raspberry Pi is probably one of my favorite devices. And one of them you can actually buy lenses for. That's their high definition camera. So you can actually choose the lens that's on it. But they've made a big upgrade to their camera modules. These are the module 3s. They're still using a Sony back illuminated sensor. This one's the IMX708. Now, I've talked about backlumid sensors before, and it doesn't mean that there's a light behind it, but all of that wiring and stuff is behind your sensor instead of having a layer of that in front of your sensor, which is really, really important when it comes to those megapixels, those buckets that gather light. And another thing that they've done is they went from 8.1 megapixels to 11.9. Now, that's not the part that I love. The part that I love is that they went from 1.12 micrometers to 1.14. They've increased the size of those tiny little buckets. They're still incredibly small, but they've actually made them quite a bit bigger in the scope of things so that as you're taking pictures, there is more sensitivity there. You're actually getting a better range from that lens and much better detail because those buckets are so much larger. It still has a 16.9 aspect ratio. Their standard camera has a 66 degree field of view, pretty wide. 
And then their wide-angle camera, this field of view is massive with 102 field of view. Absolutely huge. The other big advantage to these is they have autofocus on them. And this isn't something we've seen from Raspberry Pi before. They're also boasting tone mapping HDR. Now, this is a way of post-processing the images. So it'll take that darker image, that underexposed, it'll take that overexposed and kind of blend them together so you get this really nice image that shows more detail in the shadows, shows more detail in the brighter portions of your image. Really, really cool. Not only do they have the standard and the wide angle lenses in this module three, they also brought back their infrared sensitive variants in these new sensors. The best part about this is they're still keeping the price super, super low on these. I believe the standard one is still coming in at $25 and the wide angle lens is just $35. This to me is just really cool. I I wonder if this can be used for a lot of AI applications as well for object identification and things like that. I know there are cameras specifically for Raspberry Pi to do that. I'm not sure if their camera modules themselves can be used for it, but I wouldn't see why you couldn't. But otherwise, obviously for security systems detection, setting up home uh, video surveillance and things, this would be a much better camera. And they have mounts that they have created for this specifically as well. So you can mount this much easier with the Raspberry Pi. The options are endless with Raspberry Pi, and that's why they're so popular. The biggest problem I have with Raspberry Pi right now is getting my hands on some. They're so hard to get a hold of. Still, they have massive issues in their supply chain, and it's very frustrating for a lot of people because it's such a useful device to have around. Everything from Pi Hole to surveillance to AI to robotics. Raspberry Pi is kind of the go-to. Yeah, I actually plan on using Raspberry Pi 4s with my robotics team this coming semester. I do have a friend who's willing to sell me some used ones at a really pretty good price in order to use them for this. But when you have Lego pairing with Raspberry Pi to make these really cool robotics applications and being able to use true MicroPython on them, because what comes with the Lego hub, uh, it definitely has some serious limiting factors on the Python side. Pybricks is helping to make that hardware more useful with their much better open source version of MicroPython for these hubs and robotics. But it's really hard to beat a Raspberry Pi with a build hat on top of it and doing all of that, which these cameras can be used for building code and robots in that pairing. Totally awesome. I've seen some great projects with them. Not this one yet, but I'm sure there's some to come. I'm sure you're going to get your hands on one or two or three of these. You know, hardware addict. Got to collect them all. (laughs) Oh, wait, that's Pokemon? No, No, hardware too. It's hardware too, yeah. (laughs) Absolutely. Well, that's it. Our 73rd episode of Hardware Addicts is a wrap. Thank you for listening to the show that brings you your bi-weekly tech fix. And if you're not all lit up on tech yet, then be sure to check out all the great content on the Tux Digital Network. I'm serious. Go right now and head to Tux Digital. That's T-U-X digital.com to check out all the great podcasts and YouTube partners available. There is so much there to fill your brains with. Remember, there's no such thing as too much hardware. 
learn, build, innovate, and grow. We hope you enjoyed the show. We'll see you next time for another fantastic, amazing lunatic-type episode of Hardware EdX, where we talk about the most important things that you could ever imagine. Robot dogs that get hungry and tired. And murder you. And murder you. Or spidely spy on you. I know you can't wait. So we'll see you in the next episode.